So our Bible reading comes from John chapter 17. We're looking at verses 1 to 5. John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Here ends the first reading, the second reading. Thank you, Caleb. Morning, everyone. Uh, Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we ask, Lord, help us, direct us, Guide us, lead us, help us to understand what you are saying, encourage us and strengthen us. And uh, I pray in all things, please preserve me from error. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Glorify, glorify your son. That's actually the title of today's sermon. My apology to uh, Caleb and anyone else who I need to apologise to. That's actually my title, Glorify Your Son. As we've been reading, John, you would have been ringing in your hearts the verses from Chapter 16, such as, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. There's a tension, a tension building in the book as it goes along, the tension comes from a number of things happening. Jesus is leaving. He tells the disciples, strangely, that's good. He tells them that he will send them a counsellor, the Holy Spirit. It's that the Holy Spirit will bring Jesus' presence to them. They're confused by all this. They're probably scared. They're recipients of these great words, but These great words, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Chapter 17 is a prayer, but it's more than a prayer. It's a revelation. It's a revelation prayer that includes them into the heavenly union that the prayer talks about. And the theme that ties all this together is glory, glorify. Firstly. At first point, verse 1, glorify your son. This is a prayer, a prayer and a conversation of the second person of the Godhead praying with his father in heaven. It's a prayer between equals, the son with the father, a prayer that enfolds the disciples into that union in answer to their fear in answer to their anxiety and their confusion, 
Jesus takes his disciples into the wondrous presence of their only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a union and love that will only come to them and they will only realise after the coming of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus meets their need right now and he enfolds them in this prayer. And the prayer is also a summary of all that he's been saying in the previous chapters, really, in many ways. It talks of Jesus' return to his pre-existence. It's definitely the climax of these four chapters from chapter 13 to 17, which is probably five chapters, 13, 13, 14, five chapters, five chapters. Verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked forward to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. As Jesus has been saying, the hour has come. He's being very clear, for well, his time has come. It's the hour that Jesus will glorify his Father in heaven. He prays that he may be glorified by his Father. Straight off the bat, that seems like a strange thing to pray to me in one sense. Jesus has glory, doesn't he? The Father has glory, doesn't he? So why pray? Glorify your son. How will Jesus glorify his father in heaven? John 7, chapter 39, had said, Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Been mentioned, mentioned again in chapter 8, verse 54. If I glorify myself, Jesus said, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Chapter 13, verses 31 to 32. When he, uh, that he being Judas, was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Well, as you read and as you hear, uh, there's a lot of glorifying going on in the book of John, the Gospel of John. It's a central theme, this theme of glory, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the glory of God in Trinity. Glory means something that is weighty, something that matters, something that you can't ignore. It means authority. It means rule. And it also has a visibility thing, the visibility of its, the, the divine presence of that authority and rule. Well, this divine glory will be seen. I wonder if you think back to 1 Kings chapter 8 and the glory of God in the, in the temple. In 1 Kings 8, as the glory of the Lord filled the temple, the priests had to get out. They couldn't be and they can't be in the presence of the glory of God. It's so dazzling. It's so overwhelming. It 
fills the temple. There's no room for the priests to do their priestly work. They get out because God is here. So glory means God's rule and authority over all creation and God's holy and divine presence in it. In the other Gospels, there's sort of hints of Jesus' glory. Uh, Think of the transfiguration. John was one of those who was there at the transfiguration when Jesus transfigured, and you might remember he was there and Moses was there. Everyone was seen to be there. Let's stay here, says Peter. Let's stay. It's such a great place to be. But interesting enough, John doesn't include the transfiguration in his gospel. Uh, the transfiguration and the Lord's Supper are two things that are glaring omissions in some ways from John's gospel. They were both in other gospels, and John must have thought he didn't need to include them. But instead, John makes sure that when we've got this theme of glory, we focus on a particular place, not on the transfiguration, not in the Lord's Supper, but rather in the cross of Christ. It's as though John doesn't want us to miss the glory that is the cross. The cross will be Christ's glory. The Son of Man will be raised up to God's right hand. Uh, Bill Dumbrell said, at the cross, sign will become reality. The right, it is the place where the righteous sun, bursting in all his radiance, will be seen. In Jesus, God's glory, his rule, his authority, his presence will be seen. It's been hidden up till now, but the cross of Christ as he triumphs over death will reveal that glory. And when the Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the disciples will recall this. Christ's glory will be revealed to them. His rule, his authority, and his presence in them and with them, they will know his glory. Jesus prays, and he prays to meet their needs. He prays as he ministers to his friends, his disciples. This prayer is for them. It's a pastoral prayer. It's a revelation, a revealing of Jesus' place in the Godhead, revealing of his incredible relationship bond that he has with the Father because he and the Father are one, but also the prayer reveals their place, their place in God's heart and plan. They are part of that glory of Jesus. Though they are fearful, though they are confused, though they don't know what's coming next, they are an eternal life figure. And that is our second point, verse 2, the glory of God's eternal life people. Verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. It's a persistent theme that Jesus has a people given to him. In John, it happens in 
chapter 6, verse 37 and 39. I like these ones. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Verse 29 of chapter 10 said, My Father has given to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. He's speaking of the people that God has given to him. They will not be snatched. Out of whose hand? The Father's hand. Jesus has a people given to him. Jesus has life to give. I came that you might have life, Jesus said, and have it to the full. Jesus is full of life and he gives it to his people. He will never drive them away and he will never lose them. Jesus instead will raise them up on the last day. Jesus' rule and authority particularly is concentrated in that day and in the hour that actually has now come. Jesus will give life to those whom he has been given. We know that not everyone is given to Jesus. Not everyone is an insider. Glory and life are found in Jesus alone. Jesus has a people. They know him and he has them. As we hear those words, as the disciples hear those words, they must have a great comfort that they are being included because Jesus knows them and Jesus will give them life, which is our third point and our third verse. By the way, there's five points and five verses. It's a great thing. It's so hard to do. Verse 3, Jesus' eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The Son of God reveals the only true God, his Father. Jesus and the Father are one. Eternal life is to know Jesus and to share in his ongoing divine reality. It's a big statement. Eternal life is to know Jesus and to share in his ongoing divine reality. What are you saying, Keith? What is eternal life like? Eternal life is to know Jesus. Of course, it's a life of obedience and loving communion with fellow believers. It's a life filled with the knowledge of Christ's glory brought to us, brought to his people by the Spirit. Eternal life is to know the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus has made this known. Eternal life starts now and continues into eternity. Whatever God's word reveals to us about our Lord Jesus Christ, that is life. 
That is eternal life. That is what the Spirit brings to us. That's what Jesus promises to his disciples here, that they will know. And we are the recipient of that too. It will be Jesus, our Lord in all his glory. Eternal life is life to the full. And fourthly, that work in John's gospel has been finished. I have brought you, verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. The work which Jesus has been given by his Father as his praise has been done. With the coming of this hour, it signalled to Jesus that his work was finished. You might remember it started back in chapter 13, I think it is, when Judas left. When Judas left, Jesus knew that things were put in place, that his hour had come. Jesus has made known the Father. The disciples are the first of those whom God has given him. And the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus. That earthly work has finished. The earthly work, the glory of Jesus, is done. But a great glory is coming when his total glory is revealed at the cross. The cross is glory. It is the revealing of Christ's glory. This work, the miracles, the healings, the raisings from the dead, the stopping of winds, the, all those things, those miracles have been finished. Christ's work is done and now his saving of the world at the cross will reveal his, in all his glory. And it's the glory that he had before the world began. God in Trinity come to triumph over sin and death. Christ in all his righteous glory. He is the one who will be revealed as the only eternal begotten son, as we like to say in our opinion. And fifthly, he wants to say glorify that son. That's our fifth verse in our fifth point. Glorify, and now, Father, glorify in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The way that's spoken about it, it reminds us at the start of John, at the, what they call the prologue of the gospel. Jesus, you might remember, was the glorious one through whom, through whom all things were made. The light of the world who has come into the world. The light that gives light to everyone who came into the world. The light who has overcome the darkness. The glorious one who gives the right, you might remember, to those who believe become children born of God. Jesus is the revealer of the Father and the giver of eternal life. And so Jesus asks for a, full for a full manifestation of his glory to be given 
to be revealed, that the Father may be glorified, that the disciples might see and know and experience the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus. I'm finishing there, and it's just so much glory today. It's actually quite exciting as to prepare this sermon because there is so much glory going on, and I like glory. Jesus' glory is what is really thrilling. The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the glory of the Holy Spirit, three in one. The glory of revealed at the cross. The glory that Jesus had before the creation of the world. The glory and rule over a fallen world, which is a world that only he could save. The glory of the message that the one who came to save and deliver us from sin and death has triumphed. The glory of God's love for a world that is lost. The glory of life given to all those who find life in Jesus, who know him, who know his love and treasure it and live in his love in glory. He is the Lord of all people who has a people. And what today also shows is that you and I are that people. We have been included in this wonderful thing called God. It's not just some crazy concept that we've come up with. He is a living eternal one who created all things and lives in us. If you know Jesus, you know life, and that life is eternal. A people, we are a people that Christ will never lose, never forsake, nor push away. He is full of life and he gives it to us in abundance. And Jesus has given us life. We might be in unity, in unity with him and with one another, one with our eternal God. This wonderful prayer, this chapter 17, was given to the disciples that they might know the reality. And we come in here and we know the reality too, that we too have come to Jesus, that we too have received his spirit, that we too have a place in this communion with our God. When we pray, we, we find ourselves in communion with each other and with our eternal God. When we pray together, we're joined in Christ. When we wonder if we're good enough, when we wonder if we should be there, we are always best to know and to understand and be directed to the cross. Christ's glory of God's love for a fallen world and for us. And it's there that we find security. It's there that we find safety. It's there that we are safe in Christ's loving triumph. And so we glorify his name. That's what today has all been about. And Psalm 24 verse 10 reminds us, who is he, this king of glory? 
the Lord Almighty. He is the King of God. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, so much glory, so much glorifying going on. We are, we are in wonder at your greatness and your goodness, of your, of your everlasting love for us, whom you have known before the creation of the world. What a wonder. What a treasure. You will never lose us. You'll never forsake us. That you triumphed over life and death, over sin, over separation, over ourselves, over the world, that we might be yours and always be yours, that we might know you and your great love, that we might know our God who made us and be with him forever. Father, it's hard to put into words. They uh, don't really seem to match up to the wonder of this message, of the greatness of the cross, of the good news of Jesus, of the wonder and blessings of being his people. Father, make us deeply aware now. Meet us in our loneliness, in our illness, in our isolation, meet us in all our situations, we pray. Strengthen us by the power of your spirit to know we are your people. Christ is our Lord and you are glorious in all things. In Jesus' name we pray.